We are almost at the end. Well, we are at the end, but we're going to back up, Lord willing, uh, for a couple more sermons uh, through the end of this month. Uh, but we are toward the end of book four of the five books of the Psalter. We are at Psalm 106. Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 are something of a pair. Uh, Psalm 105 is uh, primarily focusing on the Lord's faithfulness to his covenant relationship with Israel. And Psalm 106 it focuses on the infidelity, on the disobedience, on the rebellion of Israel, on the forgetfulness of Israel for, of, of their covenant relationship with the Lord and something of the results of that as the Lord sought to bring them back. Let's turn to Psalm 106. And I would ask you to consider your situation. This is a long psalm. So if it is best for you to remain seated, please do so. If it's a good idea for you to sit down in the middle of it, please do so. Or if you want to stand through it, you're welcome to do so. Let's stand and let's turn to Psalm 106. This is God's Word, His holy, inspired, inerrant Word. Hear the Holy Word of God. Praise the Lord, or hallelujah. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord? Who can show forth all His praise? How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. And he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but created, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. 
when they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan and engulfed the company of Abiram. And a fire blazed up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. And they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he swore to them that he would cast them down in the wilderness, that he would cast their seed among the nations and scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves to Baal Peor, and eight sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and interposed, and so the plague was stayed. And it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went hard with Moses on their account, because they were rebellious against his spirit. He spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons, and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices and played the harlot in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the hand of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel, and so sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress, when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. 
and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have read a portion of your word. Your spirit inspired the writing of this word. And you've promised that your spirit is here with us today. So we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. That you would make us more like Christ. That you would give us more trust in the Trinity. That, we, that you would lead us into holy lives here on earth that you would give us great hearts of thanksgiving and praise and that you would put it in our hearts and our minds to remember the covenant you've made with each one of us. We pray in Jesus' name, the great covenant keeper who shed his blood for us. Amen. Psalm 106. Hallelujah. Palmer Robertson wanted us to learn that hallelujah means y'all praise and yah is a short form of Jehovah or the Lord. So hallelujah, he wanted us to emphasize the yah on the end and to remember that Psalms and Revelation are the only two books in the Bible that have hallelujah. The Bible is a covenant document. This whole Bible, now I'm not talking about the notes, I'm not talking about the cross-references or the definitions or whatever else we've stuck in there for our helps, but I'm talking about the 66 books. All 66 books are your covenant document. Covenant means commitment. When you are in covenant with God, you are committed. Psalm 106 points to Jesus. It points to something man could not have done. Every chapter in the Bible points you to Jesus Christ. All of it is a covenant document, something you sign with your faith and your life on your side. Something Christ has signed with his blood on his side, in which God says, I will be your God And you will be my son, my daughter, my people. And so on your side, your agreement says, yes, Lord, responding to his intervention, responding to his his initiation, his coming into our life and our heart. Our agreement in response says, yes, Lord, you are and will be my God, and I will be your son. I will be your daughter. Forever. And this is the document we signed. This, this is the whole information of our relationship with Almighty God. I will be your God, you will be my people, he says. It is that simple. But God is God. And, and your life is, is one day after another. And there's a lot to be said about what's going on in your life. And there's a lot to be said about who God is. And all of it is in here teaching you primarily what you are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of you and me. Exodus 6, 7 says this. This is before, this is, you know, Exodus 3, Moses meeting with, with the Lord, the, more, the Lord coming to the burning bush, Moses. And then, you, you know, you, he goes into 
uh, Egypt and comes back out. And by the time you get to Exodus 20, you have the Ten Commandments. This is Exodus 6. He says, the Lord says, then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. There's, that's the covenant. That's the basic form of the covenant. Covenant, And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, in the light of the whole scripture, that wonderful deliverance from Egypt is a picture of what happens to us. We are bound under Satan. We are born bound under Satan and sin. And he comes and sets us free and says, I, I adopt you as my son. I am your God by adoption. I give my son for your life. And I seal that with his blood and with his life. God gives you a heart to respond. He initiates. He proposes to you. It says that I, I, I am becoming your God. I desire to be your God. Are you willing to respond? But then he gives us a heart to respond with appreciation and commitment and joy. He takes our hard heart out of our, our, our chest and he gives us a soft heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. Leviticus 26 says, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul will not reject you in spite of your sins, in spite of your rebellions, in spite of your failures, your lies. I will not reject you. I will also walk among you, among you and be your God and you shall be my people. So think about possibly your wedding vows or, or, or just possibly about wedding vows. Maybe you've heard other people take wedding vows. And I'll just pick two names from the Bible. So I'm not picking on anyone particularly here. I'll just pick Isaac and Rebecca. I, Isaac, take you, Rebecca. To be my wedded wife. And I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband. No matter what happens. That's not usually part of the statement. In plenty and in want. That's what it's saying. In plenty and in want. In joy and in sorrow. In sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. Now, that is a covenant commitment. That is a huge commitment. It's not eternal, but it's a long time, potentially, until the Lord separates us by death. Rebecca, I, Rebecca, take you, Isaac, to be my wedded husband. So this is more like us in the relationship with God. And I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful wife. That's what you've done to Jesus Christ. That's the agreement you have with the bridegroom. He has met with you. He said, I am willing to marry you unto myself. The whole story of Hosea is about this. You were not my people, but I'm going to make you my people. Hosea, go out and... and and marry this sinful woman because I am marrying Israel. And in New Testament terms, he's marrying you and me. And so you've said, I will, I will serve you. 
You will be my God, Jesus Christ, my Savior. No matter what happens to me in this life, in plenty, and when I don't have enough, in joy. I won't forget you when I'm joyful and everything's going very well. I'll give you all the praise. And in sorrow, when I lose people to death or to terrible sickness, in sickness and in health, as long as I live on this earth, but with regard to God, it is eternal. Because what happens at death? (laughs) You really become alive. That's when you leave this place. And rejoice forever before his face. Psalm 105 talks about the faithfulness of the Lord. And we haven't concentrated on that. But it it presents God's faithfulness and his commitment to his covenant of grace. And this psalm, as you saw, points out how unfaithful Israel was to their commitment. So they they see the ten plagues. By the time they get to the Red Sea, they're already rebelling. They, they see the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire by night, the presence of God, and they're rebelling, and they don't believe, and they want to go back. It's about, Psalm 106 is about how disloyal and unfaithful Israel has been to this covenant relationship, and how the Lord, to some extent, brought calamity upon the nation. You know, Palmer Robertson, I guess I'm I'm in Psalms. Palmer's taught me a lot about the Psalms in recent years, not back in seminary, but in in recent years with his book on the Psalms and in talking about it. But you know, when he was here, uh, he looked at, I guess it was actually after he left, he wrote back and he said, you know, your prayer guide, your prayer guide is always asking for relief from the the calamity. And, and, And so it is. I mean, we do have... Praise and thanksgiving, and but but really what we're communicating is the list of things for which we want to pray, and and that's that's the way it is. I'm asking for relief from difficulties of all sorts, from calamities, to have courage, to have comfort, to go through that. But Palmer was pointing out, don't just pray for relief. You know, if somebody gets a disease, don't just pray for the disease to leave. But for the Lord to use that calamity as he would in the life of the one for whom you're praying. A much broader and more biblical perspective. And in, in, in the back of my mind, of course, that is part of it. But he just wants to be sure that we see it that way. Psalm 106 in the whole Bible shows us how the Lord uses calamities in our lives to grow us up in faith. To call us back to faithfulness. And all that for his own glory. Jeremiah 11 says that uh, you are my people and I will be your God. He has told us to be holy even as we are holy. And uh, if, you, if you have the outline there and the, and the little coloring uh, uh, sketch, uh, you, would, you see... Babylonian warriors, I think, with long beards, uh, breaking through the wall of Jerusalem and some pretty scared Israelites on the other side. Uh, and, I, and, and that's a breach. That, that's the idea. This the, is a breach. Um, 
the, the evil soldiers of Nebuchadnezzar are breaking through the wall. Well, the wall of our righteousness, if we want to say, hey, I'm pretty good, I'm good enough, I tell you that wall doesn't hold. You can put patches on it, you can use camouflage, you can use duct tape, you can put up sandbags. It will not hold. There is a breach in it, your sinfulness. But on the other side of that breach is not enemy soldiers, as scary as that might be, Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers. What's on the outside of the wall of your righteousness, your pretended righteousness, is Almighty God, is the wrath of God ready to enter that breach and bring you to destruction. Unless you have, unless you're able to go into the breach yourself. What actually happened in Jerusalem in 2 Kings 25 says, Now in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all his army against Jerusalem, camped against it, and built a siege wall around it. So the city was under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city was broken into. The wall was breached. And what happened to all the men of war? We've seen this in recent history. What, did they go and run into the breach? No. They fled by night by way of the gate between the two walls beside the king's garden through the Chaldeans who were all around the city. And they went by way of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook them in the plains of Jericho. And all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And he passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of King Zedekiah before his eyes. His last Opportunity to see something. Slaughtered his sons before his eyes and then put out his eyes. And bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. So all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. However bad an earthly siege is, and it is terrible if you get to the place you're actually eating your children. It, is, it can be truly terrible. But however bad an earthly siege is... When you're trying to keep out evil men, it is nothing compared to trying to protect your guilty, evil self from the justice of Almighty God, the God of holiness. How can the wrath of an, of an earthly Nebuchadnezzar compare with the wrath of Almighty God? We, a lot of folks around here uh, answer when somebody says, how you doing? They say, better than I deserve. Well, what do we deserve? We are like the people in Psalm 106. If you're looking at Psalm 106, it's a wonderful, the, you know, the first, the first five verses are a wonderful prelude to it, a, a prayer. But verse 6, Psalm 106, verse 6, is something I commend to you that you would take 
seriously your sins. And to say with verse 6, we, or I, we have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. If you go through this, this, this psalm, you'll see in verses 6 through 8 the Red Sea rebellion. You see in verses 13 to 15, well, Red Sea is in Exodus 14. In verses 13 to 15, you'll see about the meat and the quail, discontent and grumbling. They got what they wanted, and the Lord sent a plague. Numbers 11. Verses 16 to 18, the third rebellion against Moses and Aaron, worshiping God their own way. Worshiping God, but doing it their way and not God's way. That's number 16. Fire and an earthquake, I mean, earth opening up and swallowing those who rebelled. Verses 19 to 23, the golden calf. If you don't know the others, you probably know that one. Exodus 32. The spies, verses 24 to 27, uh, you probably know about that disbelief. Numbers 14, would not take the present, the present of, the, of the land that the Lord has given them. They, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't believe. That's the fifth one. The sixth rebellion, Baal Peor. That's, although it isn't mentioned here, that's following the advice of evil Balaam. Terrible. Uh, Numbers 25. And then there's Meribah. We've looked at Meribah before in the Psalms, verses 32 to 33. That's in Numbers 20. And then there's all the intermarrying. And once they got in the promised land, then they ascend and sinned and sinned. And more idolatry and intermarrying and not looking like the people of God at all. Now, one application. If you don't know about all those rebellions, that Moses wrote down for you to read, go read them. Read the Bible and know what it has to say. And then number two, accept that those people who were so terribly rebellious, that that pretty well describes your heart and mine without the work of Jesus Christ and without the change of Jesus Christ, without the, without the battle that he carries on against sin in our lives. So that we can say with verse 6, we have sinned like our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have behaved wickedly. What if any one of us was chosen and you had access, if, if you chose me, and you had access to all my rebellion and sin and iniquity, and you, you just picked eight of them like this, and you listed them and, and handed them all out to the congregation, you would be horrified. And if we did it to you, I would be horrified because that's what our hearts are like. So who is going to save us when, when, the, when the wrath of God is going to come into the breach? This chapter preaches Jesus because when God was ready to say, I give up on them, I'll make you Moses into my, into my people, and I'm going to destroy them. Moses stood up in the breach. And when they had open rebellion and adultery right there in front of the elders, of it go right in front of the elders um, and go into a, a tent and commit adultery, that's when Phineas stood up with his, with his spear 
and speared both of them at the same time. He stood up and, and, and took that stand before God uh, and stood in the breach. Well, that's what the cross is. Isaiah 63 said, there's nobody else to stand in the breach. Jesus says, I, I was astonished there's nobody else. I'll do it myself. I'll try the wine press. I'll destroy the enemies of my people. And in the process, uh, I will be the sacrifice. So the, the breach is there. The wrath of God is ready to come into your life. And if you don't have Jesus, then that wrath is ready to come in the whole, all the days you live until the day you die. And eventually it comes in. But he is long-suffering and he is patient. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Not, not yet. But if you have Jesus, it's Jesus that runs into the breach. It, he runs into the problem the way the first responders did at 9-11. And he is crushed. He is bruised. He is killed. He is crucified. And that wall of righteousness around you is now perfectly whole. And nobody, no Satan's attack can say you are sinful before God anymore. Because Jesus has taken your place and he has stood in the gap. Have you forgotten your wedding day with Jesus? If you've forgotten your bridegroom, Jesus Christ, then come home. Your righteousness will not hold. The wrath of God is besieging you on the other side of the wall. And the wall is breached. Who will stand in the gap? Who will arise and enter the breach? You cannot. You're not just in the infirmary. You're over in the corner, dead in your trespasses and sins. You're without hope, save in his sovereign mercy. So, if you're straying away, renew your covenant with Jesus Christ. Take your vows. Depend upon him to stand up for you. Jesus saves. He does his saving work and you respond, amen. These, this section of Psalms is all closely tied in with, with, second, with First Chronicles 16. When, when the Ark of the Covenant is finally brought into Jerusalem. It's a beautiful picture, and there are pieces of, of 1, 1 Corinthians 16 in a number of these psalms through him, through here. And at the end, it says, after, they, after the people have the Ark of the Covenant there, it says, then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And so Psalm 106 ends. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting, let all the people say amen and praise the Lord. So as Jesus does the work for us, we join together and we say amen to his work and we sing hallelujah.